We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I just want to take a second to thank you for tuning in to today's show. My name is Colin Kelly, co-host of the Road of His Overtime podcast, along with the great Sean Siegel. We do appreciate each and every listener, and as a thank you to each of you, you can get yourself a 10% discount to a Road of His NFL pass. We're heading at full speed towards the season. Make sure you're ready. Get yourself access to all the content and tools up on the Road of His website. All you have to do is add the code RVRADIO2021 at checkout to get yourself that 10% discount. Now let's go and dominate those fantasy leagues in 2021. Hello and welcome to another episode of the College to Canton podcast, the perfect show for any and every college football and NFL fan. I'm your host, Stéphane LeCoe, and you can find me on Twitter at Stéphane LeCoe. Of course, you can find my co-host, Travis May, at FF underscore Travis M. If you are joining us for the first time, College to Canton is a show about the journey of the best football players and prospects from being a college football recruit all the way to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Of course, we always talk some fantasy football since this is a Road of His Radio podcast, but we make sure to dive into some real college football and NFL analysis too. Last couple of weeks have been really great. Travis has been hitting the college side of things. He had an amazing podcast where he kind of shows us how to spotting a quarterback breakout with 90th percentile in adjusted yards over expectation, and in that same peak year, have a 5% rushing yard market share for their team. Fascinating stuff, really good, amazing hit rate. Check that out. And then I was able to talk to Matt Hicks about running backs last week. This week, we have Matt Harmon, uh, the one, the only, the creator of Reception Perception, works over with Yahoo Fantasy stuff. He's been on the Yahoo, Yahoo Fantasy football forecast. I'm struggling with all these F words in here. Uh, Matt, it is good to have you on the show. A lot of, um, you know, a lot of F words and a lot of rhymes too. you know, reception perception, the Yahoo fantasy football forecast, which is a podcast. Yeah, there's a lot going on there. Yeah. So uh, I appreciate you uh, making it through the intro, but more importantly, appreciate you ha- having me on today. I'm excited to talk. Oh, it's, it's good to talk to you again. It's uh, it's been a while since we've chatted and uh, I feel, you know, yeah. it's I kind of always feel bad because I bring you in to talk about wide receivers. And at some point, I'm guessing you get a little bit tired of it. I mean, I know that that's like your emphasis. That's where you do a lot of your your research. But I'm sure sometimes you'd just be like, hey, bring me on to talk about quarterbacks or something. (laughs) (laughs) 
Uh, it is kind of like a little bit of mixed feelings there. Whereas on one hand, I absolutely love talking about wide receivers and I could literally do it, you know, all day long on any show. Um, it is also like, you know, it's, I'm, I feel the most prepared to talk about receivers cause I spend an ungodly amount of time studying wide, wide receivers, you know, charting routes, everything with reception perception. So there is a little bit of that, but also, yeah, sometimes it's like, Oh man, I'd love to get a few takes off about other positions, whatever. But I, I will say, I, I maybe this just makes me a sicko. Which, um, it, yeah, you know what? Actually, it definitely makes me. <laughs> yeah, a sicko. Like, I never get, I never get, uh, I never get tired of talking about receivers. I could, I could do it all day, and I guess that's good though. You know, I've, I've uh, at this point dedicated so much time um, and resources and everything to to the to the studying the position. It's probably good that I haven't gotten sick of it in just you know eight years of doing it or however long it's been. Right? Yeah, no, no, that, it'd be a little too too soon for that. Uh, before we jump into, because I do want to actually talk to you about a, a non wide receiver because uh, I, I like to talk about him on all of my podcasts. Uh, but before we get into that, you have been um, really, really making me extremely jealous with all of your grilling and barbecuing and all the meat that I see on your Instagram. And uh, it looks like you've been uh, really getting the most out of uh, this past summer. Yeah, if anything, uh, man, I'd actually like love to go on a podcast and be asked about like not football stuff, you know, like if you're not going to ask me about wide receivers, you might as well ask me about grilling and barbecuing because that was, you know, I'd really love to talk about that. So I'm glad you brought this up. Um, Yeah, it has become like not even just a hobby, really. I mean, cooking has always been a hobby, um, but like barbecuing and grilling, like it's definitely become almost like kind of a weird obsession too. you know, Um, I don't know if you're on TikTok at all. Um, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, post- <laughs> I don't understand the TikTok. See here, I, I did, I did not understand it either. And like, you know, my fiance and just back when we were just, was, we were just dating like at the beginning of the, I mean, we'd been dating for a while, but you know, like beginning of pandemic, right? Like she's sending me all these TikTok videos. I'm like, I'm not getting on this freaking app. Like it just looks like worse fine or whatever. Right. Like a bunch of young kids. Like, yeah, I don't need any of that. But because it's like, basically because it's i'm sure it's listening to everything i do and tracking everything i do or whatever um it it like starts to learn what you're into and like now my entire tiktok feed is like all like barbecuing and cooking and grilling (laughs) i learned i've learned so much from it and then yeah um she got me a big green egg a couple of years ago for christmas so it's one of those investment things that you want to get really good at and get in um get involved with learning everything about it and um you know, just trying to really be good at it. And, and I, I love to, you know, entertain people and like cook for a crowd and, and all that type of stuff. So it's really exciting um, to kind of just try to learn all these new techniques with it and try your hand at different things. I, I tried my hand at ribs a couple of weekends ago. That was the first time. And um, it's one of those things too, where like, I, I guess it's true for any kind of cooking, but especially for when you're cooking with, you know, a literal fire <laughs> um, in a smoker, like you want to learn, um, okay, I did this this time. Yeah. Next time I'm going to do this, or I'm going to try this different method with uh, wrapping the ribs at this time and everything. So yeah, I mean, I could talk about this stuff <laughs> for hours as well. Oh man. Like we'll talk, you know, talk, talk Brandon Ayuk and then how to really like slow cook a pork butt. Yeah, so, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. No, I'm, I'm here for it. Uh, I do like every, every like, Season opening weekend, I have like a big party at my house. And obviously last year with COVID, I I wasn't able to, but I always like smoke some meats, do some stuff. And I always, I'm like, this is so much work. How do people actually like do this all the time? Because I just don't have that same love and passion for it. Uh, So uh, I do it because like, I like the foods. It's so much work, but it's been fun watching it. And uh, 
I, uh, yeah, I've been uh, envious of uh, of all, especially the ribs, man. Those looked amazing. But uh, but yeah, we'll we'll yeah, the ribs turned out pretty good. We'll get into some some football here now, um, since I'm, I'm guessing that's why most people are tuning in. Uh, before we kind of jump into uh, a whole lot of other stuff uh, regarding your process and talking about uh, your draft strategy, and then maybe talking about some specific wide receivers, uh, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about um, a, a specific running back you were talking about on one of the podcasts the other day that you were doing. Um, just about Michael Carter. And I am so high on this New York Jets running back. Even like uh, last year, like I also do a bunch of college work for Rotoviz. So just really mm-hmm. got popped, you know, even, you know, in a shared backfield with Javante Williams um, at, at North Carolina. But I am so excited. And at first I was really disappointed because how can you be excited about a Jets running back? But then just thinking like Tevin right. Coleman kind of, you know, never really doing what we had maybe hoped he would do uh, ever since he left Atlanta and just the style that he has. And now even seeing Wilson, maybe being a decent quarterback, Uh, Michael Carter, I know he went in in day three, but he was only the fifth running back taken, um, which historically that's usually like a day two pick. So are you um, scared because of the day three capital? Are you excited about him? Is it the location? What is it about Michael Carter that you um, maybe are a little bit nervous about? Other than the obvious New York Jets factor. <clears throat> yeah, I think it's mostly just like, is this going to be a committee backfield, you know, and like how much really draft equity can you think into um, a committee backfield that you hope he becomes the one a of, um, but there's also, you know, again, Tevin Coleman for all his flaws and for, um, you know, some of the more disappointing moments, he still, I would say like had a pretty solid career as a, and now a journeyman running back, also a system fit, everything like that. It seems like they kind of like Ty Johnson. And, you know, it was one of those things where when initially at the beginning of the training camp process, you know, we get all the tweets that Michael Carter is running with the first team. And it's like, Oh, that's what you needed to see to like make him kind of worth the, in, in some leagues, you know, he goes in like the eighth round, you know, in like best ball leagues and some of the sharper drafts early on this year, he was kind of pushed up around that RB 30 range. And um, that was like very exciting to see that. But then, you know, some of the preseason action, he started to play in the, in the later uh, portion of it, but it's just, we've definitely been fooled before by some of these day three backs that don't have a lot of draft capital. Um, and, you know, the team doesn't have a big, big investment in them. We push them up the draft board. I mean, uh, Kenneth Dixon always comes. To oh, mind. man. That's like, yeah. like, it's like, the, yeah, the, the Kenneth Dixon, like David Cobb um, hype that was around like early on when I started in fantasy. Um, shout out to my my for, my future coworker and really good friend, uh, Alex Gelhar is like the hype man for both those guys. <laughs> he used to always say back in the day, they're just like ran like basically they're just rando running backs right like they're just day three guys or team doesn't have big investment in them but we get excited because there is some opportunity and there's definitely opportunity for michael carter but i'm not all out on the guy at all this year and i think actually like there could be a scenario where he is finishing extremely strong to end the season right and that's usually kind of my my theory on some of these rookie running backs even guys previously like nick chubb or aaron jones like when they were first hitting the scene you could draft them, but there was a long period of time when you, if you drafted them, you could, you couldn't use them. Cause like Carlos Hyde was running ahead of Nick Chubb as a rookie. But then by the end of the year, man, you were so happy you had Nick Chubb, Yeah, but you might not have been like, you might not have been the one that drafted him. You know what I mean? Oh, like absolutely. if I don't draft me, that could, he could be the guy for me later in the season. So I wouldn't say that I'm proactively avoiding him, but I'm not really proactively targeting him it's just kind of based on where his um where his adp is but i agree with you though i think the talent is there i think the pass catching pedigree is there as well like i would love it if he ends up being the third down back on this team and the fact that zach wilson has looked so good 
in the preseason has been really encouraging because, man, I love Elijah Moore. I think Corey Davis is a big value this year. Like, I want all of these young Jets players to hit. Um, and Michael Carter is definitely in that mold, too. Yeah, no, it's really important what you bring up about, like, uh, talking about, like, even the Nick Chubb example. Because I remember I was sitting on an airplane getting ready to fly out of Sierra Leone. Um, and I had no cell service. And then all of a sudden, um, like, you get ready to take off and the Wi-Fi turns on and all that kind of stuff. And I just saw that Nick Chubb was like going to get the starting role and I missed out on him because someone else got that claim in earlier. But I used to write an article for Rotoviz called like the do not cut list. And and a guy like Michael Carter is is someone that, you know, um, people are going to, if he comes out the gate slow, people are going to be wondering, is this a dude I need to cut to pick up, you know, this wide receiver that pops or whatever it might be. So it is, it is pretty, pretty tough to hold on to those guys, um, but they can really pay off. You, you were right, though. He is going right around RB30, 31 right now. Um, on ESPN, he's going super late, so maybe that's a place where you look to get him. Um, but yeah, that's that's good stuff. I uh, Yeah, I'm curious about... I, I, I do want to talk to you um, about Corey Davis later on if we if we have time to get into some specific players because he makes me terrified. <laughs> um, but uh, I guess that's just part, part of it. Uh, we also just mentioned a little bit about like, you know, just covid stuff and and all that 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 is still a thing and and just in the news right now we see Tannehill might miss like five to ten days because because of that so i'm curious have you as you approach this season is it something that you are kind of like man um i need to be prepping for this and if so how or is it something that's like man we don't know what's going to happen and when it's going to happen so we just got to roll with the punches I feel like we're getting back towards that. We just got to roll with the punches type of flow with it, which was basically what we were at all of 2020. Now it's not going to be quite as bad because obviously like the league is, Listen, if as a society we had the vaccination rate uh, that we do uh, within the NFL, we'd be in a great spot. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, like for the for the most part, like a lot of players will be vaccinated, and they'll be in a point where okay, they might miss a few days during the week. Like even Tannehill, I think I said publicly that he felt you know quote forced into getting the vaccine, which I guess implies that he has gotten it. Right. Um, so he'll probably miss the the lower end of the that that day count there. So. I mean, there will obviously be those hiccups. You know, we have guys, you know, you know, there's the Cole Beasley's of the world that are extremely outspoken about the fact that they're not vaccinated. There's other guys that, you know, it's kind of implied that they're not based on, um, you know, like Cam Newton. I guess at this point you can kind of read between the lines that he is not because of the the, the miscommunication thing that happened there with him. Like there are other guys, you know, on that run. I think that's the hard part is like there's been so many like you know looking through like the yahoo fantasy mentions there's been a lot of folks like are you going to put out like a list of who is vaccinated and who is not i'm like i'm thinking to myself like i will tell you what i'm not doing yeah, that no, no. i'm not going down that road that is not not my job that is for sure so i don't think it'll be kind of that easy to just navigate the waters to the point that uh, I think we are just going to kind of have to roll with the punches and, you know, be more flexible than we were in previous seasons, but probably not. So I probably will not be as chaotic as it was in 2020, which like sometimes it was just like, wow, all hell is, you know, feeling like it's breaking loose and everything like that. So I think it's kind of somewhere in the middle. Um, to me, I'm, I'm just doing kind of like what I did last year, even with, you know, COVID casting a much bigger shadow, which is I'm just going to try to put the best fantasy team possible together in the draft and then see and then a roll with the punches in the middle of the season yeah so i i typically um just go with like one quarterback i don't typically roster two unless obviously it's a super flex league um 
Right. I'm wondering though, if I need to uh, <laughs> change my approach a little bit and have someone uh, on my bench just in case something crazy happens. I don't know though. It seems like that's a, a good way to miss out on some of those uh, late round uh, wide receiver running back flyers that could be, you know, those lottery tickets. So I, I find myself kind of at a, you know, at a place where I'm like, ah, do I want to play it safe or just go upside? And, and I haven't really, haven't really decided yet. Yeah. I'm kind of with you there too. And by the way, like, um, I don't, this is, you know, I had a great, I feel like I had a great fantasy season in 2020. Like that, that was, uh, and I don't know what that says about like my normal year strategy, <laughs> but, um, sometimes you lean into that chaos. And like he said, it's, it's, um, it is kind of an upside versus safety thing. And there's definitely a scenario where, um, let's say you were planning on streaming Kirk cousins and we know he's been very vocal about his current status. Like, so, um, and then, you know, Friday comes and it's bang, he's not playing right. on, he's not playing on Sunday and you got to put together a contingency plan there on the fly. Um, we could definitely be in that situation again. That that's quite possible. And, and quarterbacks interesting because so many quarterbacks have been so, um, let's just say nonchalant about their status or whatever. And we know there's just a huge, it is what it is to the point that, um, it just is what it is, right? Like it is, it, it, there's no other way to get around it. Like it is what it is. The league has decided that there's going to be big advantages for vaccinated players versus unvaccinated players. Like regardless of how you feel about that, this, that is what it is. So basically we kind of have to adjust to that. And, you know, with the quarterback position, it seems like so many guys have been so nonchalant about it. And then I also think at the same time, we're seeing in fantasy that there's much, there's a much bigger advantage now than there probably was like even three years ago to having like a strong, steady quarterback one, you know, right. like, like yeah. the, the guys like Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, Patrick Mahomes, Kyler Murray, like those guys are unlike, you know, when Drew Brees or, or Peyton Manning was like the QB one overall, when you nail that guy in this current environment in fantasy, it's such a big advantage over the field where it used to not be that way. Um, to the point that, yeah, do you want to leave yourself vulnerable at quarterback to where you're streaming, you know, Derek Carr and, uh, you know, Daniel Jones, well, Daniel Jones at least can move, but you know, like uh, the Sam Darnold tier of yeah. the world, you want to leave yourself vulnerable to that where you're streaming those guys every week. And it's definitely something you have to ask yourself, but I feel like, man, there's so many like brain pretzels you can put yourself in with the whole like COVID thing that it's almost just, like I said, just draft best team possible and let the cards kind of fall where they may. Yeah. And I think to like, to your point, like knowing your league, like if you're in a league that a lot of dudes are going to like pick up the best streamers that week, like when waiver wires hit, maybe you want to carry a second quarterback because then if you do get that bad news yeah. on Friday, man, there's going to be no decent matchups. So uh, knowing, knowing what kind of league you're in helps too. Well, let's, let's get into um, kind of your process. Like everyone knows um, that you are, you know, the creative reception perception of, done a great job there you've really built that into a really reputable um now website where i know a lot of people um analysts industry experts go to your website to find what you've done uh, research wise to use in their analysis i'd love to hear um your process i mean uh, you say that you've you know you you've logged over seventy one thousand routes i mean that's just obscene <laughs> i mean a, a, a true degenerate and therefore welcome on this podcast uh, but i'm just curious <laughs> We had um, uh, Matt Hicks on last week, as I mentioned, and he was just talking about like even just like not all routes are the same. Like there's so much that goes mm -hmm. into it. I'm curious how you um, kind of first just your process of selecting like which players do you start with? How often are you doing it? And then what you're looking for in a specific route um, to kind of analyze, you know, whether it's, you know, in your, in your grading tier, you know, above average, average or below average. 
um, given, you know, all those things. Yeah. I mean, it, this is why I love wide receiver to wide receiver play as well, because it's just so like, there's just so many guys that win in different ways. You know, um, a guy could be at a 76% success rate versus man coverage and reception perception, but you could look at like somebody posted this the other day and, and these guys aren't quite in the same tier, but um, I saw someone take the ch two charts from the website of like Jacoby Myers and Henry Ruggs and how, like they were completely different, you know, <laughs> like in Jacoby Myers, all the like short to intermediate routes are green. Cause that's where he's above average. None of the vertical routes, really not much of a separator there. Henry Ruggs, complete opposite right, right. corner post nine route, all green, all the rest of it, all red. So I, I think that's just kind of like a good example of why wide receiver play is so, is so fun. Cause guys can, be good players and win in different ways, even, you know, regardless of what you think about Henry Ruggs. Right love now. him. I kind of love him secretly. Uh, really? Yeah. yeah. I mean, if you look, if you look at him in reception perception and like his um, route success rate charts specifically, and his just kind of his overall metrics as well, very similar to like a Brandon Cooks type of player. Um, and I, I would love to see him used in that type of role as opposed to what he, whatever the hell they were doing with the Raiders last year, where it felt like they had no real plan for him, which if you're going to take him as the first yeah. receiver off the board, <laughs> you, you might want to maybe, <laughs> maybe want, want to have a plan other than like, he's our uh, clear out guy. And like, we'll occasionally do some jet sweep stuff with him. It's like, you could get somebody on day three to do that for yeah. you. I don't know. I don't know. Um, no, but we'll leave John Gruden. Yeah. Alone. I found myself in a really uncomfortable position of being like, the high guy on a couple of Raiders and it's, it's just gross. And I don't know what's happened to me. Uh, but anyway, we, <laughs> I digress. Uh, continue please. Yeah, so I, I just that's what I really love about receivers is that there's just guys that win in so many different ways. And you know, when going and selecting players, like in in my in my previous partnership with the fantasy footballers, I was contracted to chart the, their top fifty ranked guys, um, which you know that was always just so okay. So that's the starting point. Yeah. Like mostly like any receiver that's kind of going to be quote relevant in fantasy that year. Those are the guys I'm looking at. And you know, a couple of years into that partnership, I, I thought. Why, you know, why am I, why am I doing this? Because it's like, do you really need me to tell you Devonte Adams is good? Probably not. Um, would it be better spent like, you know, charting a bunch of lower ranked guys, you know, to try to find some uncovered, like un, undiscovered gems right, or right. whatever. Um, I think there's a bit of a balance to it. Cause let me tell you right now, you know, like we started a discord with the website and like the discord is lit up with like, let's get a Brian Edwards sample. Let's get a Marquez Callaway sample. And like, by the way, I'm working on it. I'm trying, I'm trying to get that in here in the very, 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 very busy August, August schedule. But I do also think though, having a catalog of the best receivers to the average receivers to like kind of that 49 to 50 range, I actually do – I've come around now to the point that even at the end of uh, the partnership there with the footballers and especially now to the new website as well, I do actually think there is um, – there is it's there's an importance there because it's keeping up like the database of the entire league so that you know, again, like this is what the top guys are doing versus the you know entire – the bottom tier or whatever so that when you start to look at um, the – newest crop of rookies uh, or the guys that were in the in their first year in the NFL last year you know when when Brandon Ayuk and CD Lamb and all those guys hit the reception perception database it's great to be able to I think just for the sake of comparison yeah yeah compare them to the top guys in the NFL so I think it gives and I you know the fact that I say like there's over 300 
players in the database right now. There's over 70,000 routes. I think it's actually closer to 80 now at this point. Oh, oh man. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And that's not including college players, by the way, that's all NFL. Um, there's, there's even more in the college database. So um, I think that being able like that, when I say that it's that the reception perception method now has like, so much more context to it to the point that there are things I would have said about reception perception results four, five, six years ago that I would absolutely never say now because it's that ability to compare to guys across the league. So I think it's important to always have that catalog and the averages and the percentiles of every single metric so that you really know um, what you're talking about. Because I always say that, you know, data is data. And, and, and even if it's, a chart charting data, like what I do or what PFF does, or like what Matt Wallman does in the rookie scouting portfolio, even if it's not just hard stats, uh, data is data, but what, you know, it's not wrong. Like that is the reality. Like Brandon, Co- Brandon cooks is open on this percentage of his routes. It is what it is, but what do you do with that information? Mm-hmm. And I think reception perception has always stayed constant. It is what it is. The process is, you know, that I was doing in 2014 is the same process for for grading receivers that I've done this, you know, up until 2020. It's a pretty good size sample. Like I said, so many players, the method has always been what it is, but I think the interpreter, which is me, uh, has gotten much better at, at, at telling you and forecasting based on all of that history there. So I think that is really important. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm sitting over here writing a bunch of notes as you're talking because I have so many questions. Um, and I don't know where to start. So I'm going to start. Uh, you mentioned rookies as well. Uh, so when charting rookies or, or, you know, college players, I should say people like some of these guys who are about to enter, uh, enter the league, uh, like a Jalen Waddle or Devonta Smith, whomever it might be. Yes. Um, do you find your process in evaluating their, um, their route running? Does it change much when you're looking at NFL defenses versus college defenses, a guy playing in the sec versus a guy playing in like the PAC 12 or something like that? Um, or is the, is your method fairly similar, fairly constant? A hundred, the method is the same, but I think again, it's like interpreting off those results is very different. You know, I like my confidence level to predict, to predict like NFL success. And like, if you're over this percentage mark, I, you know, you know, not like a hard hit rate or anything like that, but I have done some work on the, on the website, like uh, James Coe, my business partner, put out an article about success rate versus man coverage and how that's been pretty predictive. Um, I did an, a couple like quick studies in the intro article, just saying like this, this amount of guys of the 45 unique players that have been over X percentage mark have eventually gone on to have a thousand yard season. And like this, you know, how, how it just goes down the list or whatever like that. So I have a lot more confidence once I see a guy's NFL results than I do for his reception perception results uh, as rookies. And it is difficult too, because I didn't chart the um, 2019 and 2020 class because I lost access to the film database I was using back at NFL Network. So there's just a huge gap there. And it also sucks because there were so many good receivers in those classes. Yeah, you yeah. Know? Um, so a lot of what I'm, com- a lot of what I'm comparing to is like back in the um, 2016, 2017, 2018 classes, we know the 2016 and 2017 classes, there was a lot of duds there too. So um, not as great of a comparison. So long way of saying that I'm absolutely much more confident. Like this is what reception perception is telling you about NFL players. I do think it's important to study them on a route by route basis and, and grade them the same way 
from an NFL standpoint to what they're doing in college. But as you mentioned, it's much more of the wild West when it comes to quality of play. Yeah. And you know, like this past year, it, it was, it was great that we had a lot of like sec products. Uh, and I think a lot of that is because of just the COVID season in general. Like a lot of these guys were like the sec played basically like where some other conferences did not or only um, played four games like Arizona state. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. Only, yeah. Only played like four games. Um, you know, Rondale Moore, like I, I had to go back to like his 2018 season to find yeah. like a, a large sample of usable games. It's like, what's more valuable charting him, in his 2018 season, his best, I that was something I really struggled with, with prospects this year. Once I was going to, once I had the film access to get back into college prospects, I was like, what's, you know, what's more important, like his a player's best season or his most current season? Like what's more use, what's more useful Rashad Bateman's 2019 season or his weird, you know, COVID affected 2020 season. Um, I ended up going back and forth with a lot of people. JJ Zacharyson was kind of someone I really trusted in telling me that I think you should look at like best season, right? Like just be, to get the to get the product um, that you're really looking for. So I did end up defaulting to going back to Rondell Moore's 2018 and and Rashad Bateman's 2019. Obviously, for some guys like Jamar Chase, didn't have a choice. Like he didn't play football in 2020. So yeah, um, yeah. All that is to say, all yeah. So there was a lot of questions this off season uh, when it comes to like charting players, especially college guys. Um, so long way to say there that yeah, it's it's difficult to go back. To, like again, I sometimes don't even really like to to quote the percentile scores for um, college prospects because it's like yeah, one of the best prospects. Uh, you know, on a reception perception standpoint, you know, in success rate versus man or press coverage is like damn Carlos Henderson from all those drafts ago. And it's like, yeah, but he was playing against, you know, nobody's right. Yeah, like, so yeah. is that more <laughs> like, just because Jamar chase is like a few percentage points lower um, than Carlos Henderson. It's like the level of competition is just so hard there to kind of make the comparison. Like, I do think that it's valuable to see um, like a lot of times, for example, Elijah Moore, just to give a specific player example. Um, you know, what's more useful, me telling you that he finished at the 95th percentile in success rate versus man coverage or being like, yeah, actually, Elijah Moore was right up there with guys like Jalen Waddle and Devontae Smith, who we all know were drafted in the first round. It's like, I guess there's, you know, you, you could kind of argue both sides of it. To, but to me, I think from like telling a person about Elijah Moore who's never heard of Elijah Moore saying like, yeah, he was drafted in the second round, but from a reception perception standpoint, really not that big of a gap between him and guys that everybody was in on. I think that actually might just from a communication standpoint hold more value. Yeah. And, and in that case in particular, doing it in the same conference against the same type of competition. Um, right. Exactly. Yeah, no, yep. that's great. Um, so I, I could spend, uh, all day talking to you about this stuff, uh, specifically <laughs> even around the college players, because like we do a lot of college stuff and, uh, analyzing that. So we might, might have to do that maybe in the off season sometime when we both have more, <laughs> more, uh, more time. I want to move yeah, on yeah. <laughs> to another question I had. You talk about your method. Um, is this something that you could sit down and teach someone else to read these routes, look for key things, or is it something that you feel that, uh, takes kind of a unique understanding of route running, um, that, uh, you know, it, it's, it's not quite as easy as just spotting. Um, because I'm curious if it's like, uh, cause obviously you bring a lot of value in the time you put into doing that, but then also, like you said, like interpreting it and telling us, uh, the, the readers or the listeners, what to do with the information. But I'm curious um, how much of it is like, oh yeah, like you can tell when someone runs a route correctly and you can tell their separation and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, just kind of curious on that 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 end of things. 
Yeah, and I mean, from like a hardcore just like application standpoint, I've had people reach out before and be like, hey, like I would love for you to teach me reception perception so I could help you with the charting. And there's definitely a part of me, I'm like, God, I'd love to have yeah. some help. <laughs> but at the same time, yeah, that'd be nice. Yeah, right? I was putting like, an application out there very subtly, by the way. I don't know if you caught yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Um, but I do think I go back. I mean, for one, I go back and forth on that, too, because I think the value of reception perception is that it's the same pair of eyes that has been looking at it all this time. You know, so like if you trust me, you you would inherently trust RP. Right. Um, so that's a really good point. Uh, I, I I I don't I don't know that like having um I don't know. I just don't, I don't really know the answer to that. Like uh, in terms of how easy it would be to teach somebody. Cause I mean, inherently, like, right. I taught myself, you know, I, I did not play wide receiver in the NFL, uh, spoiler alert. Uh, you cannot <laughs> find me on pro football reference. So a lot of it was taking the time before ever putting any content out. Like this is the thing that I think some people don't realize is, yeah, I say like, I've, I've been, I've been logging, like I've got data logged since the 2014 season, but from, you know, like, fall uh, of 2013 to um, before ever posting any reception perception content, like in very limited looks, the summer of 2014, like I, I posted a couple articles here and there. Um, but I like don't even really include those in the larger field database. That was mostly spent on like, charting and recharting and learning about routes and over and over again, like studying different, um, you know, whether it was reading books or, or watching video, like coaching videos, stuff like that. That was, and also, um, testing the method over and over again too, before ever putting anything out. So I would say it would take a lot of time well, yeah. to get to that point. And I think, I think you bring up a really good point too, that there is something to the same set of eyes being the one that's looking at, uh, person A versus person B, or even route A versus route B. Uh, because if you're doing half of them and you've got a assistant or whatever doing the other half, uh, you might have the same methodology, yeah. but you're going to be just inherently different in your process. And therefore, um, yeah, it may not be as valuable. That, that, that's good. Um, it makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, one last question before we kind of move on to, uh, you know, kind of talking about what your strategy is in, in drafting, because we do have a big draft uh, weekend coming up here. Um, I'm, I'm curious, um, you recently, I think you put out, um, you tweeted about Chris Godwin and kind of looking at kind of the changes uh, year to year um, with his um, profile. And I'm, I'm, I'm curious uh, if you, like what you can attribute that to, like firstly, like do you see big changes year to year? And can that be like telling us a story of like, man, maybe this guy's about to hit um, a cliff and we should start avoiding him. I, I don't, I know Godwin's not in that category, but is that something that you're looking for? Um, or is it just out of like curiosity to see like, Oh, maybe defense that are playing him different. Maybe he's seeing uh, less man coverage, more zone coverage, um, that kind of stuff. Just curious about the year to year changes that you might see and, and what that tells us. Yeah, I, I don't know about the Godwin specific example. Um, I'm trying to think. You know, I tweet a lot of stuff, yeah. so I can't really remember that one. But um, yeah, and, and, yeah, no, there are there are a lot. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, I was just, and, and not asking specifically about Godwin. Just curious about like your the process yeah. in general. So okay, yeah. So I mean, I, I would say that for most guys, like reception perception results stay pretty steady. Like once you get to a certain point, you're really going to only you know, so say, for example, like Chris Godwin's a good example, actually, that, um, you know, he came into the league and 
in his first couple seasons was always like over that 80th percentile. Now he's really, he's grown and he was actually sixth best in success rate versus man last year. And um, obviously positive in a lot of other results as well, you know, zone coverage, um, press coverage, all that type of stuff. So we would never really like, that's kind of what I'm saying there. And that like, once you get to the stability point of it, like you're going to kind of stay around the same area Um, for other guys though, there have been a few examples like Kenny Galladay is a good example. DJ Moore is a good example of this one where they've taken that like 5% jump each year um, before getting into that like really solid 80th percentile range against man or press coverage or whatever. So for the most part, guys come into the league and they just kind of stay around the same results. Um, for some players, though, they do take that incremental growth. And I think that's just, you know, showing the dedication to their craft and, and improving. So I always say, too, that I have much more confidence telling you when a guy is good, going to be good and how good they can be versus like a guy that comes into the league and stinks. There have been um, some examples where players have actually improved. Devontae Adams is the biggest one of that. And I would never project somebody to do what he did, which is literally going from the bottom six in terms of success rate versus man all the way to like the 99th percentile. I would never expect anyone to do that again. Un- unbelievable. There's been other examples though. And let's, let's take just a specific about this, like Jalen Rager, I've quoted this and I should really do a tweet thread about this because I have mentioned this before and I don't want to come off like a hater. Um, but he posted the second worst success rate versus man coverage score ever charted in reception perception last year. Nice. Yeah. Not yeah. good. Right. Um, and when you look at the other guys around him in the historical database, which by the way, uh, our top tier subscribers can get access to this for the first time ever. I've never given access to this away before. Um, you could see that the guys that he's in the range with uh, in terms of the bottom five that aren't slot receivers, Number one uh, is the worst ever was Justin Hunter. So Mm. that's a potential path for Jalen Rager is to just be a straight up, like not useful player that washes out of the league very quickly. Another guy that's in the bottom is Marquise Lee. Okay. Yeah. Marquise Lee, you know, had some moments, but obviously at this point is not a relevant player. Um, washed out of the league eventually, but not quite to the tune that like Justin Hunter washed out of the league, right? Like Marquis Lee had had a couple little moments as like a slightly below average starter. Um, another guy that's in the bottom from his rookie year is Devontae Parker. Um, Devontae Parker is sort of like was was very not useful at all for a long time, popped up for a big season, but I would say is what, like maybe a league average starter at best at wide receiver, if we're being honest yeah. about it. Um and then, and then there's Devontae Adams. So mm. I actually feel like those are like, when you look at those four examples alongside with Rager and the bottom five in terms of players ever charted for reception perception, because again, I don't really chart the, the, you know, the absolute dregs of the league very often because <laughs> it just doesn't happen that way. Um, I think that actually gives you a good, like kind of path to w- what Rager could be there um, is, is he could be a guy that washes completely out of the league, a Marquise Lee type that has a l- few little moments, but isn't really bound for much success. Maybe he's a Devonte Parker guy. That's like a league average starter and has a couple real big seasons, or he could be Devonte Adams and become one of the best receivers in the league. I would say that the two middle options are probably more likely for a guy like Rager. Um, I don't know if that really answers your question, but I think that was kind of just like a, yeah. <laughs> the way that I think about like career growth and everything like that. And um, for the most part too, like I said, RP results, pretty stable year over year. 
Um, done a lot of work on that before to, to kind of to test that out. And, and I do feel very confident that once guys start to produce at one level, they're most likely going to stay around that same neighborhood in reception perception. And then it just kind of depends on uh, where they're going to line up and everything like that. Yeah. And like a guy with Rager, it'll be interesting to see what he does this year to see like what changes do take place. Obviously he got unlucky with that injury to start last year. And did that have effect on it or not? Um, and then that leads me to kind of my, my last question about, the reception perception stuff is how much does like game flow or game script, um, you know, how much does that play of, of a factor into like um, your analysis or your interpretation of what's taking place when you're, you know, building out your tiers, building out um, your rankings, whatever it might be. Um, how much of that are you, are you kind of, you know, rolling into it or is it just like, man, Stefan Diggs is the best right now because of X, Y, and Z. Yeah, I've had people ask that before for um, a guy like Allen Robinson is a good example of this. That You know, like he had a lot of success in his um, first few years in Jacksonville in quote like garbage time or in a lot of negative game script. And, you know, I, I, to me, this is like, I guess, maybe just a bias of mine is I don't put too much like stock into – like the NFL players are going to just like start backing off, you know, and like not try. Like there are certainly some examples of that in like the last drive of a game or something, maybe like guys going to prevent defense or something like that. And maybe that influences reception perception by like four or five routes uh, mm-hmm. within the course of a season or something like that. So I guess that's possible, but, um, but you're not I've watched seeing a lot of, yeah, receipt. I hear you. Yeah. yeah. It's not making I've watched mass, a lot of, massive of games over the years. Yeah. I would, I would say that, but it's certainly like, and then for a guy like Robinson or anyone that I have gotten this critique about previously, it's like, well, then they continue to post these same results every single year. So how much can it really be um, influencing it? I, I tend to think not very much, but like, get, so that game flow example, but there are examples of like injuries and stuff like that, that I think um, and aging cliffs, I think are, are troublesome too. Uh, you know, I've, I've seen guys in the database, like Des Bryant's a great example that, you know, from one year in 2016, still posting great results, comes back in 2017 and he's like in the below the 10th percentile. So it's like, and obviously since 2017, he's only had that that weird stint with the Ravens last <laughs> right, year. Right, right. really played. Uh, was basically forced out of the league. So, I mean, it, I think that that's a tough, like, that's a tough draw there because going into 2017, it's like, yeah, there was no fall off in Dez's game in 2016, or at least it wasn't noticeable. Um, but then the fall off happened in 2017 and that's noticeable after you chart the, the season. But, um, and that was why I was like, yeah, I actually don't think he's like, he's not making that, a comeback. Between yeah. my, uh, not making a comeback. This was actually between my, um, between my days at NFL and, and Yahoo. Like, so I wasn't still doing anything with NFL and, and was kind of deep into the point where it was going to move to Yahoo. But, um, I can't remember like looking at all the emails of shows and stuff like that. They were doing at NFL network, all this breathless coverage of like, where's Des Bryant going to land? I'm like, let me on this show and tell you <laughs> like that he's cooked or whatever. But um, yeah. So I would do think, but that's like aging curves and yeah, stuff like that. And aging nuts. cliffs, especially that is something that I don't, you know, when you're young and whatever, and you're push, putting great seasons up, I t- typically don't think that they're a fluke. I think you're just going to continue to stay at that level or grow incrementally. But yeah, there's guys like Jordy Nelson, another example of, of that cliff that happened, but it wasn't noticeable until after like, you know, one bad season or something. So I don't 
always feel too confident in like being able to predict decline basically and until it is extremely apparent. Mm-hmm. Well, that's great. All right, we're going to take a really quick break and then we will be back to talk um, draft strategy and maybe uh, a couple, couple specific players. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. All right, we're back. All right, so you recently had an article come out. Um, you were kind of talking about like the landscape for receivers and talking about how there's a lot of depth, um, but not necessarily wanting to wait too long to start drafting them. You know, uh, so I know um, that uh, I think you mentioned it on maybe earlier this week or last week's podcast. Time is an illusion to me. I don't really have a good sense of it anymore. <laughs> so, uh, but you're talking about like second round. If Antonio Gibson's there, you want Antonio Gibson. So it sounds like you you feel comfortable kind of starting off a little bit heavier on the running back and then really focusing on wide receiver, you know, um, kind of those rounds three through eight. Those, not your first couple rounds maybe, but those earlier rounds, that's definitely a position to target. Who are some names that keep coming up that you like in those areas? And what do you, how are you feeling about like some of the, some of the, other guests I've had on that have asked this question too. They're either doing like these uh, the elite tight ends early, like Chris Towers was talking about that, where he wants one of those Kelsey Waller Kittle types, and he'll build around that. Um, Matt talked about really wanting to, you know, maybe lean into zero RB or modified zero RB or hero RB, whatever people are calling it. I can't keep up with all, all the names. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so where where you kind of land in this uh, this year with that first pick, knowing that you know you're kind of you've got a guy that you're targeting in the second round. Yeah, and I think the depth of the receiver position is is kind of the starting point here because, like I say, receiver's deep, but that doesn't mean I want to be grabbing my wide receiver one in round seven yeah, yeah. or um, something like that. Or like, yeah, like let me just load up on running, like be robust RB and grab a tight end and a quarterback and then start plucking receivers off because I don't think that's the way to go about it. Uh, I actually think that like the depth of the receiver position, what I mean by that is like it's the quality of depth at the top. Like – you can get to almost my wide receiver 24 and I'm like, yeah, I could make the case that this player finishes in the top 10 for whatever reason. So 
I actually don't want to miss out on that receiver run at the top. So the way I've kind of been looking at it is I want to grab at least one really strong running back in rounds one to two. And if it falls right, um, I'm, I'm grabbing running back in first round and then Antonio Gibson around two. spoiler yeah. for anybody that's going to draft with me in the next few days. <laughs> um, so yeah, he's been just a guy I really like. There's a few other second round running backs that I think are really quality there, especially if you're picking around the turn this year, I think you can really execute that strategy because man, you got to start to weigh your, it's one thing to look at that round one to two turn and be like, yeah, these are great running back options here, but also really want a receiver or a tight end. You got to think about those running back options that are going to be there for your round three to four turn right. if you're picking towards the back end of the draft. And it's like, God, then you're looking at that the Mike Davis group and no thanks. No, thank like, you. I mean, yeah. I don't really want to be, yeah, no, thank you. I don't want to be investing there. So I have been tempted to lock up running backs and then start, like as you said, hitting receiver hard in rounds three to eight. But there are breaking points too. If I typically don't end up dra- drafting Kelsey early because it just, Someone's always willing to take him in the first round, and I'm, I'm usually not. Um, but for Waller, he he does kind of interrupt that strategy. It's always important to be flexible, right? And I think he definitely comes into play there. Um, you know, the TJ Hawkinson, Kyle Pitts of the world, like they start to get tempting around round five or something like that to the point that, okay, I, I can break off the receiver run here because – I still do have some confidence in the players that are going later. Uh, if I've secured two starters here, um, also guys a little later on, like Robert Tunyon, uh, Tyler Higby have been two of my targets in like rounds eight to nine ish area there. Um, after I've loaded up on receivers, if they can make it that far, I'm open to that. Otherwise I guess I'm kind of banged at the tight end position. And I'm going to be in that sort of miserable zone. Yeah. Around, you know, <laughs> tight end, tight end 10 to 20, which is all basically the this, same thing. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so that is, that. yeah. And, and then quarterback I think is interesting this year because again, the opt, I think my optimal plan is to still hit receiver hard from rounds three to eight. But as I mentioned earlier, when we're doing the whole COVID talk, like, there is a big advantage to having guys like Josh Allen or Kyler Murray or, you know, Russell Wilson, I even think is in that group this year, or he should be considered in that group. Um, When, when do you get to a value point where the receivers on the board don't look as good to compare to a Josh Allen? You know, I think you have to ask yourself that question too. And then if not, what is your late round plan? Because usually, usually we were in kind of a point the last two years where, you know, in rounds 11 to 13, we had the Lamar Jackson or uh, the the Kyler Murray or Josh Allen to the point where we knew that this guy gave you unbelievable rushing upside. Those guys are all kind of priced up this year. Yeah, for sure. Round. Jalen, like, Jalen Hurts. Hurts. Yeah. <laughs> You're lucky. You're lucky if you get Jalen Hurts in round 10. I have taken Jalen Hurts in round 10, but other times I've seen him go 8-9 and like I don't want to do that at that point. Absolutely. Um Trey Lance and Justin Fields have that upside, but how long do you have to wait on it? And then do you have to do the contingency plan of like, all right, let me ride with Fitzpatrick for the first three weeks because he's yeah. got a great schedule. Um, so it's not as e- – quarterback is not as easy, I don't think, this year as it has been in past years. So that also kind of breaks the strategy a little too. So really I think my my key focal point is – let me at least make sure I've locked in two strong receivers from rounds three to four, or at least rounds three to five. And then I'll start thinking about the quarterback or the tight end, maybe to break off that receiver run. And then once we get to 
rounds nine and 10 and stuff. Like maybe I'll start filling out the running back depth chart there, but lean into that chaos a little bit. Um, and if it's only one running back from the early rounds, it is what it is. Um, I am still willing to try to cobble together that running back two spot based on um, the fragility and the chaos of the position that we can naturally lean into uh, on the waiver wire. Right. Yeah. And I think that's a really good point is, you know, people like ourselves and people listening to this podcast, we're going to be much more invested in waiver wire ads and, and seeing which running backs are about to pop that, that we can kind of lean into that, that zero RB, at least the, the, the mindset behind it a little bit. I want to talk real quick before I let yes. you go here about some of uh, some of your, uh, some specific wide receivers that, that, that you have. And um, I'm going to start with my favorite team, the Seattle Seahawks. You've got not only Metcalf who, you know, everyone's pretty high on this year. Everyone's, you know, pretty confident that DK yeah. is going to be awesome. The dude's just amazing. Um, actually, really, I remember you had it. You you interviewed him once. That was a really fantastic interview. Yes. Um, super Thank super you. cool guy. It was a it was fun listening to that. But then uh, you have his teammate uh, Tyler Lockett um, in your top fifteen as well. So uh, you obviously are not too afraid of there maybe not being enough pass volume to go around. You like both these guys. Uh, tell me why. And I, I I by the way I totally agree with you. Um, the uh, Russell Wilson targeting Tyler Lockett, the adjusted yards per attempt is just, it's, and it's always been absolutely insane. Uh, they just have such a high efficiency um, and, you know, they're not afraid to take some shots. So, t- so talk to me a little bit about uh, why you're not afraid of, you know, the potential like run heavy offense that people might be afraid of with a new, um, new uh, OC in town. Yeah. I mean, if there, if it was a case of there's not enough footballs to go around, like there's cert- that certainly was not a problem last year, right? You yeah. know, uh, from a percentage standpoint, these guys dominated the target share. And I love these type of offenses when it's two really high quality receivers. And there's no reason to think that either of them is not a high quality receiver, you know, based on reception perception or any, basically any other metric you want to look at. These except for guys, a cone drill, both. maybe. <laughs> I forget it was that DK. Yeah, except for the old three cone <laughs> drill. <laughs> um, there's, there's basically no denying that these guys are, I think both number one receivers in the NFL. And when those two guys, it all kind of, my first realization of it was like the Decker Marshall combo, New York jets, like back in the days, back in the early days, it's like when you can get two receivers that are both really good fringe, number one guys dominating like 50% of the targets all on their own. That is a good offense to invest in. Mm, Um, Yeah. And I think that, I think that that's definitely the case again with Seattle this year. And, you know, I mean, obviously I think for Lockett, particularly people are just they have their feelings hurt because he was inconsistent quote quote inconsistent last year it's like okay maybe that was a little bit of a bummer he still won you some weeks oh absolutely there is no there's no denying about that and one i don't think one player loses you a week uh it's just one player can win you a week but one player cannot lose you a week all on their own unless they get hurt in the first quarter and they're deontay johnson (laughs) but that's just (laughs) that's the only time and even then it's like it's tough to lose your week all on one player right but people have their feelings hurt over that and the reality is though it does not matter for projecting forward unless you could expect him to lose target share and i like the addition of gerald everett I, Dwayne Eskridge we'll see but like there's no one in there that's going to nip off of tar- uh, the target share of Tyler Lockett or DK Metcalf and i actually think that Shane Waldron coming over is like the perfect mix of what Pete Carroll wants to do and what Russell Wilson wants to do because if you're going to draw up an offense that wants to have a great identity as an efficient ground game, but also as a really high quality, efficient passing game that most importantly has a lot of layups for the quarterback. Cause I mean, DK himself has even pointed this out that 
teams, you know, it's that it's that run, run, deep play action pass on third down. Like that's the Seahawks playbook since Pete Carroll got there. Um, I think like there's just there wasn't enough layups in this offense, and that's why they kind of lived on both sides of variance last year. I think Shane Waldron running in a more up tempo. Uh, play action heavy pass that like the Rams offense have always had layups for their quarterback. That's what made Jared Goff, Jared Goff right. uh, during his time with the team. I actually think that that is pretty perfect, like a, a, a best of both worlds for what Seattle wants. So I've really been enjoying and uh, investing in these two offenses and Lockett at this point is, you know, he's my 14th receiver. He's like the consensus ranked 20 receiver, which I think is just crazy for him to go that late. Yeah. I mean, people, I think they, they talk about the inconsistencies or whatever, but like the dude had a hundred catches last year. Like it's, it's not like he had a, a few boom right. games and the rest was nothing like he, he, I mean, yes, he had some boom games, but um, a, a, a guy that I am really, he's not like Deshaun Jackson or right. something or, 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 or whatever, you know, the, the end of your stat line does mean something at the end of the day. Yeah. So a guy, um, last guy I'm going to ask you about, then I'll let you go here. Um, because this is a guy I'm really struggling with and I see his name on a lot of like, like a lot of smart people really like this guy, uh, yourself included. And I just really find it difficult to pull the trigger on him. And that's Brandon Ayuk, someone you mentioned earlier. I get really nervous because of what I perceive to be a, a kind of a low pass volume offense. They've got Kittle back healthy this yeah. year. You've got a lot of running backs. They're going to want to give the ball to, and then whatever they're going to be doing with Debo. So what am I, what am I supposed to think when I see Brandon Ayuk staring at me and I, and I want to draft a wide receiver, but um, I'm just not sure I want to go with him over, you know, what might be Jamar, you know, Jamar Chase could be something really exciting. We've never seen him before. Who knows? Or, or T Higgins could break out. Why am I going with Bengals here? I don't know, but uh, talk to me a little bit about Ayuk. <laughs> Probably because the Bengals are like the flip opposite of what the, um, of what the the 49ers will be, <laughs> yeah. you know, in terms of like pass volume. That's probably why you're inherently going with yeah. Bengals there, which is not the wrong way to go about it, perhaps. Like, I think that the 49ers, and I know my Yahoo uh, Fantasy Football forecast, the, the podcast producer, uh, is sick of me saying this because I've said it on so many podcasts, is like getting the 49ers right, I think, is the key to, to winning fantasy football in 2021. Mm. Like figuring out when Trey Lance is going to take over and how that alters things for the 49ers. Cause you know, they could be even more run heavy with Trey Lance right. at the, at the helm. Cause he is himself a rushing quarterback. Um, we also know the history uh, to mention JJ Zacharyson, the check better be in the mail, buddy. Cause it's the second time I referenced <laughs> him on the, on the pod here, but I know he did a great podcast himself about like the history of rookie quarterbacks, not elevating That's right. multiple pass catchers from one team. And it is tough to parse out volume for this team. There's no question about it. Um, However, I do think from an efficiency perspective, and I know we always want to bet on volume over efficiency, and I, I totally understand that and support that. From an efficiency perspective, I actually think that Trey Lance taking over could just make this offense that much more efficient. Um, from like a touchdown potential, I think it could raise the ceiling there for these guys. And, you know, I don't put too much stock into like Brandon Ayuk average this many targets with Kittle or Debo versus without, because if you just look at his season for as a whole perspective, like, he started a little slower and then gained steam towards the end, which is what most rookies Absolutely. do anyways, yep. regardless of their surroundings. So I just think he's an unbelievable player. You know, in reception perception history, he's at the 88th percentile in success rate versus man coverage, was the second best success rate versus man coverage score among the rookies last year. I think he's a future number one alpha receiver, superstar type of guy. And I typically think that volume finds those players. You know, as, as good as Debo is at what he does, I think – 
Ayuk is just so much more suited to play the vertical receiver number one alpha role in this offense. I mean, it's and it's really not even close. Kittle's obviously one of the best tight ends in the NFL, which is one of the best pure football players uh, around. Um, I could see Kittle being a slight disappointment if his touchdown total doesn't come up because, you know, he's also going to be a victim of the volume in this offense for um, in his own right. So I guess what I mean by all that is I totally hear you with the volume concerns. I have the volume concerns. I just really love the player and want to bet on the volume finding this type of talent because typically it does work out. It does work out that way. Like volume is earned. Targets are earned. And I think Ayuk is going to earn that volume. Yeah, oh, that's good. That makes me feel a little bit better. I mean, I, I haven't drafted him much. I wish we would have had this conversation a little earlier, especially before I did all my best ball <laughs> leagues. But uh, <laughs> yeah, it, it, it'll be interesting. I just, I, I get so nervous that like, there's not very many like, complete outlier offenses that like, I'm just like avoiding pass catchers, but like the Ravens are obviously one of them like being so low in pass yeah. volume. And I'm just afraid that if Lance enters the league or when he enters, um, this gets that starting role. What, what if it becomes a lot like that offense where it's, you know, running the run, 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 you know, and then, you know, a little pretend flip pass to uh, Debo Samuel or something like that. So just nervous, yeah. but, um, I do like what you're saying about Brandon Ayuk and, uh, someone that I definitely, um, need to move up. I don't have rankings. Uh, I was, I, I didn't have time to do projections this year. And so I didn't want to fake it. You. Yeah. Lucky you. Um, <laughs> well, cool. Matt, thank you so much uh, for joining uh, me again. It's always really good to talk to you. Love just being able to pick your brain a little bit, especially just kind of diving a little bit deeper into some of your thoughts around the reception perception. I mean, we, we, I, I love it because you can see the graphics, you can, you know, read the write-ups around it. And it's super intuitive once you can see it and, and get a feel for it. But just hearing kind of what else goes on around it is is really insightful and, and can also help, you know, myself and people listening kind of um, evaluate what's going on as well. So so thanks for taking the time to do that with us today. I, I totally appreciate you having me on. And I appreciate you giving me a chance to talk about that stuff because this is something I don't get to discuss much uh, on podcasts out there. And, and it's it's helpful for me to, I think, communicate that to potential new readers and viewers and listeners and stuff like that to that find reception perception because i mean a lot of hours go into it but an awful lot of thought goes into it as well and um this is stuff i've been thinking about for years and i'll hopefully continue to enjoy thinking about for many many years to come yeah absolutely uh, so everyone um follow uh follow matt on twitter at matt Harmon underscore byb check out reception perception it is you know it's pretty easy to find all you got to do is you know, put that in, put .com behind it, and then you can find all, all, all that stuff there. Um, really, really reasonable, fair, and good uh, pricing options for a lot of the content, uh, some of the stuff that um, Matt was talking about already there uh, today. So so do that. Follow him on Twitter. Of course, if you want some of those uh, great barbecue pictures, be sure to follow him on Instagram as well. <laughs> Thanks again, Matt. Really appreciate you. Appreciate you. Thanks for having me. When you make decisions for your company, you always look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing and shipping to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your process to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, books, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart if you sell online. Schedule package pickups through the dashboard and automatically see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers with rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, 
you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are, even on the go. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other business decision makers with Stamps.com. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage, and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.